once upon a midnight dreary. While I pondered weak and weary. To some visitor. I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Here I opened wide the door. <laughs> this better be good. Darkness there, and nothing more. Huh? You know what would have been scarier than nothing? What? Anything! Let's go on a bit of a ramble, shall we? Um, I just got finished recording some counseling lessons for my elementary school course. I'm doing remote learning, and every week I put out some sort of social-emotional learning lesson that's pre-recorded, and I use puppets, and I do various videos, and share whatever good sources I could find on YouTube and just put together a lesson for each grade level, kindergarten all the way through fifth. And uh, I noticed um, a lot of the topics come down to how does a kid handle certain situations that might, you know, cause them emotional upset. There might be a situation in which they feel emotional upset. And coming from a mental health perspective, you know, my job is to sort of teach them the skills, uh, the coping mechanisms, that kind of stuff to handle various situations. And um, one thing I noticed is that there's a, there's a principle here that I'm always trying to impart to the kids and that is not to jump immediately into a victim mentality or a, a mentality where they see themselves as a passive victim of other people. So I don't encourage kids to uh, use language like so-and-so made me upset or made me mad. Now, of course, this is all context-dependent, because uh, working at the school that I work at, I mean, there's all kinds of extreme stories and cases where there's abuse and that sort of thing. So this is very context dependent, but there is a basic principle where there's minor things that go on between kids at school. And a lot of kids default to this idea that um, other people just have the power as if they you know, had a remote control tuned in just to to them they could just push a button and make you feel angry or sad or happy and so a lot of what I am teaching them is to to not really start from there to at least ask the question uh, are they really making me sad or angry how much control do I have of the situation you know can I can I exert some influence here and so often, if especially if it's uh, like, for instance, today, there was one of the lessons for one of the grade levels was name calling. And, you know, you have, it's not just a simple question of like, what do you do if someone calls you a name? Because obviously it depends on the situation and there's not really one answer. You could do a lot of different things. You want to give kids a whole toolkit to use. So for instance, if somebody's calling you a name, First of all, it could just be they're calling you a silly name and it, they really just think it's funny or they mean it in fun. They think that they're friends with you and so they've given you like a silly nickname. That's one scenario. 
The other scenario is they're genuinely insulting you. They're not really a friend of yours, but it's, you know, a, a very mild thing that, you know, one could choose not to take personally. And um, another situation is there's just, it's a repeated type of a thing that, that verges more into bullying. So in general, you know, you're, you're trying to impart to the kids that, well, number one, if someone's calling you a, a silly name or even an insulting name, you could ignore them and just blow it off and be like, whatever. Um, you could also be assertive uh, toward that person. You could stand up for yourself and just let them know directly, clearly, but calmly that uh, you don't appreciate it. You don't think it's cool and knock it off, that kind of thing. And then another thing, you know, if those two things don't work or if it's very extreme and the, and the, the other kid just continues to insult you and you can't find a way out, well then sort of third, go to an adult for some help. Um, and that's where you get more into a bullying situation. But of course, what I found is, uh, a lot of kids like to jump immediately to that third thing where they want to pull this lever, which is immediately go to an authority figure who has power in the situation to, um, to use against the person that's annoying me. And I don't encourage that uh, as a as a first step because I don't think I think it bypasses all the other stuff the the building of resiliency and coping skills and things like that. So you know it's a nuanced thing. It's never just there's no rules and every situation has to be looked at uh, in the particulars and it depends on you know the kids and I mean the kid could have a disability or there could be some power differential there. So you have to really look at it that way, but. Um, there is this core principle that, uh, resilience is a good thing to cultivate number one. And there's another one that comes up a lot and that's that cognitive distortions like are a sign or a symptom of, uh, non-optimal functioning psychologically. And this is just a standard cognitive behavioral thing. But as I've said a million times, it's not rocket science. You don't need cognitive behavioral anything to, to get the concept that if, if you were that, first of all, that your thoughts can be distorted, your cognitions can be distorted. And that's very common. And that needs to be interrogated and examined. You need to inquire into that because that's often the source of a lot of stuff. And you have the classic example of you know, the person is walking on the other side of the street and they're with a friend. They both are laughing sort of while they're looking over in your general direction. And you could immediately jump to the conclusion that they're laughing at you or they're mocking you. And you start telling yourself a story about that. And then you're resentful and angry and you, and you basically invent this entire drama by interpreting what's going on in uh, a particular way, one that paints you as the victim and they're, the others are doing something wrong and you're just really jumping to that. You're almost looking for that if you have a certain type of cognitive distortion tendency. And often when something like that comes up, one of the things you are trying to help the person with if you're a mental health professional is 
maybe examine that. Are you, do you really know that they're laughing at you? You know, that kind of thing. Maybe they're just telling a joke, you know, giving some charitable interpretation to them or, you know, not jumping to conclusions, questioning your assumptions. This is all basic critical thinking as far as I'm concerned. And uh, so this is just a general thing that, you know, I've never questioned when I work with kids. I feel like I'm trying to empower them. You know, obviously I'm there to protect them from abuse and bullying and all that. And I, you know, it's not that difficult to tell the difference, but 99% of what I'm seeing is just normal everyday stuff. And it's a lot of times it's stuff that kids can't escape from stuff with brothers and sisters and stuff at the home where, you know, to really, to teach them the resiliency and uh, to inquire into how their ways of thinking about it may or may not be helping them. To me, it's just unquestionably a good thing. And in my own life, I just know that one of the things that makes me happier and healthier is that I'm somebody that does that. Um, but it's it's often hard to convey. And another example I like to use is my brother and I, um, he has a, such a different disposition. And he would often, behind the wheel of a car, he would get extremely angry towards somebody that in his mind has done him this egregious wrong, you know, cut him off or, and he'd get all riled up and angry and he's yelling and screaming. He even got arrested once for tailing somebody that cut him off and then intentionally bumping them at a red light or something. And so this is, what's interesting to me is my brother and I could be driving in the same car or in separate cars going in the same place. And in his mind, several things, quote unquote, happened that justify him being furious and even aggressive. Whereas from my perspective, having taken the exact same trip, uh, either, you know, in the same car or in a different car, absolutely nothing happened, like nothing even registered for me. And so our basic sense of reality is completely different about just what even happened And it has to do with uh, how each of us interprets others' actions. So my brother just jumps right to the to the the worst case scenario where someone cuts him off, and it's a it's a personal grievance. It's a it's an act of aggression toward him, an act of disrespect. Um, Whereas my default is that who knows why that maybe that it's just person's not a good driver or it's somebody that's like elderly and doesn't have really, you know, good perception anymore. And, you know, maybe they're having the worst day of their life and just weren't paying attention. They're distracted because their dog just died or something. It's, I just, my default is why would I get myself all upset over that? And that's, so my whole philosophy when it comes to mental health has to do with uh, in some ways, applied critical thinking, um, but also that's just maybe the cognitive aspect, but also self-acceptance, openness to one's thoughts and feelings without uh, censorship, um, without shame. So there's a whole philosophy there. And what I'm realizing is that uh, I'm now I've just turned 50 here in the last several months. And I'm getting somewhat out of step 
not only with different trends maybe that I'm seeing in mental health, but certainly politically. Um, I've often uh, gone on rants or tried to explore intellectually some of the stuff I'm seeing in the in the realm of uh, maybe what used to be called political correctness, but now is called like wokeness or um, a tendency in some progressive circles to encourage uh, victim identities um, and to think that that is a, a, a compassionate thing to do, like particularly with um, groups that may be marginalized in some way. And I'm often struck uh, by how far that goes in a direction that from my point of view is almost like anti-cognitive behavioral therapy like there's a, a sense of not only encouraging say somebody in a in a, a, a let's just say a black person um I, I heard this anecdote from somebody i know where somebody in the group um who identified as black i don't know if they were biracial or what they were but they identified identified as black and they all went to a diner somewhere in the country where um, the majority of people were white. And they talked about going into this diner and sort of sitting. They were all in a, in a rock band, so we'll put it in that context. They all show up to this diner and they're all sitting together. And the perception was that people were sort of staring at them. And the immediate interpretation was that, oh, it's definitely because all these white people are racist and, you know, they're looking over at, at me because I'm African-American and, you know, it made me so uncomfortable and da-da-da-da. And I guess, uh, while I guess that's possible, not only putting myself in that person's shoes, and it's, of course, I can't, quite do that. I, I don't understand why one would want to jump to that conclusion immediately. Or if you were one of the other people sitting with the, that person and you were having a discussion with them, you might say, really? I mean, do you know that what makes you think that? You know what I mean? Could it be your own internal uh, interpretive lens that's driving you that way? Like, did really anyone do anything that indicates racism in some way? Maybe like you all are just from out of town and these same people eat at this diner constantly and they know see some outsiders came in and maybe you've got other things about your appearance and the group does that sort of signals, oh, you know, they got purple hair and they look like someone in a rock band and maybe you're, that's out of place with the general subculture there of these small town people and so you look different and interesting to them. So they just glanced over at you for a moment. And there was not, uh, perhaps not a single racist thought consciously or subconsciously in the minds of any of these diner patrons. Now, of course there could be, but you don't know. That's the point. So why, why structure your interpretive lens that way? Um, and of course, it could be the answer to that could be past experience. Maybe you have experienced overt racism like that. But 
the vibe that I get is that not only is this victim identity or this tendency to interpret things as if you're being victimized or aggressed upon, it it's encouraged, which I don't understand because, again, I think, well, then you're encouraging someone to be not as mentally healthy when you're pushing them in that direction. And sometimes I'm even more cynical and it feels like it's being encouraged uh, for weird reasons, um, really like a self-centered thing. Like, And I often see this in these uh, progressive New York Times reading NPR listening circles, which to be clear, that's my circle of almost everyone I know. That there's a sense of, uh, I don't know, it's a self-referential thing where it, it makes you feel better in some way um, to participate in this weird dynamic where maybe there's some sort of privilege guilt or uh, white guilt or something and uh, you want to signal that you're somehow a good person and so you are chiming in in this direction of uh, encouraging somebody to sort of revel in this victimhood mentality. Now, again, sort of like when I'm talking about my work with the kids, this is a complex thing. I mean, of course there are situations where someone is just being racist or sexist or homophobic or whatever you want to say, but oftentimes not. And I don't, I don't quite understand this, um, this default mentality. I think it can just lead to, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem to lead to uh, health in the broader sense, as far as mental health goes. To me, it seems to be moving in an in a direction that isn't good for an individual person or uh, a group of people. I, and I, it's hard to pin down because, again, in any individual situation, you don't know if it's the case or not. But another example I might use is. Um, Sexism, maybe it's slightly less fraught than when talking about a race, a racial situation. Now, sexism exists. I mean, no one with half a brain would deny that. But let's just take my wife, okay? Um, by my estimation, my wife lives a life that is privileged or blessed or whatever you want to call it to a degree that. Again, I would say she has it better off than 99.999% of all humans who have ever lived. And that includes men, women, everything. I mean, she lives with me, so there's no, uh, you know, she's not living in a subservient position. If anything, she's got the power. She's wearing the pants in this little little family of ours. Not really. I mean, it's, it's very egalitarian, but it's certainly not the other way. She doesn't experience any sexist BS at home. She has a great job that she loves. She was born to fairly wealthy parents. She has everything anyone could want, meaningful work, hobbies, fulfillment. I would say almost every second of every day, she is happy and fulfilled. Now, 
is it possible that at some point someone could make a comment to her that she could interpret as sexist? Maybe an old white guy in her department could say something about, oh, you look nice, dear, or something that she feels that person would never say to a man and it, she feels undermined and and then this uh, sort of sexist vibe is there. Of course, that can happen. But just because sexism is a thing and it exists, it would be ludicrous for my wife to structure her entire identity based on that way of interpreting things. I mean, she could, I suppose, if she wanted to, focus on the fact that sexism is a thing. I experience it sometimes, and therefore, you know, I'm in this downtrodden position of being a woman. That would be, like I said, a little bit uh, of a distorted perspective for someone who is, again, has an absolutely amazing life better than almost, you know, every single other person who's ever lived in the history of humanity. You know, that that to me is the perspective to keep in mind when, uh, you know, some old guy says something that you didn't like, you know what I mean? It, it You wouldn't want that to uh, torpedo your day. Now, again, like I would counsel kids I work with, there's a lot of different things you could do in that situation. You could just ignore it and say, eh, you know, it's just some old man. He's, that's just what he learned and who cares what he thinks. That, that would be my approach. I, I imagine. I mean, um, that's, uh, I think would be a very good approach. If it's someone you're working with all the time, uh, maybe that second thing being assertive, just saying, Hey, uh, you know, I, I couldn't help but notice that you, you said sweetie to me or whatever and you commented on my appearance and FYI that uh, that troubles me I, you know I, I I don't really it makes me feel like you're demeaning me in some way and, that, and maybe the person says oh gosh I'm sorry I didn't even realize that I'm sorry I guess I'm a little old-fashioned I'll, I'll keep that in mind um or it could be someone that continuously does it and there's a there is a creepy vibe to it and maybe you need to go to human resources or something But so when you're looking at a situation like that, the default to feel aggrieved, to to revel in a victimhood identity or status and immediately go to human resource over something like that, to me is ludicrous. I mean, you're just, again, you're losing all perspective. And what complicates this is because all scenarios are possible. You know what I'm saying? Like it can be this like me too thing where there's this evil sexist um, co-worker, but it also could be all the way down to absolutely nothing. You know what I mean? That you, the person just meant to be nice and they're 80 years old and, you know, God get some perspective. And I just think that should be the default. The default should be charitable, um, focusing on intent, uh, not, ne- not allowing someone um, to ruin your day or to push your buttons. And if that's the default, you'll quickly discover, um, okay, well, that's not working. I, 
you know, I tried the default and it didn't work and it's still going on. And then you could maybe be assertive with the person. But again, you're taking agency there. You know, it's on me to stand up for myself. You don't have to go running to human resources before you just, you know, just be assertive, you know. And again, this is what I would teach children, much less adults. But I, I, I see this, and again, I could be biased here. I see a tendency in, you know, with students and college students and and just different worlds. Again, I'm maybe characterizing it in this a New York Times reading NPR listening world that people just want to go right to the, I'm going to HR. I'm going to an authority figure that's going to squash this other person because I don't like them. And they just skip over the, you could just ignore it or you could assertively confront the situation yourself. And by doing that, it just feels like it's not healthy for the individual and it's not healthy for society. And, uh, you know, there's various cases that you see in the media. And again, I've talked about before, I'm probably getting a biased sampling as we all are when we're living in these algorithmically constructed information silos. I tend to react to a lot of this, uh, what one would consider the, the overreach of the far left. Anything that's authoritarian or identitarian tends to push my buttons because I just think that those two strains in society and politics are uh, destructive ultimately. And I don't mean destructive to, you know, the to white supremacy or destructive to the powerful people. I mean destructive just to the health of all of us. I don't think that's that it's it's a good way to go. I don't think it's helping marginalized people. I think it's all in all, it's not not going in a direction anyone would want to go. And I've criticized that type of stuff here on the podcast many times. But um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just all this came about because I was doing a lesson trying to build the resiliency and, and of these kids I work with and. I just, yeah, I just noticed that that doesn't seem to be the fashion, not only in politics and society. I think people, people follow incentives, and when jumping to pulling that lever of getting authority to solve your problems for you, if you have that option and it works, people will go that way because it's a hell of a lot easier than developing resiliency, and it's a hell of a lot easier than being assertive and confronting somebody in an assertive manner. Now, I think what used to happen is you'd pull that lever, you'd go to human resources, and that you just get laughed at. They'd be like, well, why don't you just ask the person? You know, or they'd maybe try to help you out and say, yeah, why don't you just assertively talk to the person or let's sit down. But I think increasingly it just works. You pull that authority lever and that person jumps in and, and solves your problem for you, albeit temporarily. And when the people in those positions of power and authority allow that to happen, it's just basic and a basic incentive structure. So if you can, you know, simply, uh, if it works to revel in a victimhood status, if that if that gives you social status to constantly claim you're a victim or feel aggrieved, well, 
of course, that's the easiest way. I mean, rising in social status is a thing. I mean, that most people want to do. And if all you have to do is uh, claim some sort of victimhood to get it, people are going to do that. Now, it doesn't mean sometimes people aren't victimized, but I just think it's a bad incentive structure. And if you can just, uh, this, this, oh, my phone's ringing. All right, I, I did get totally derailed by my phone ringing. By the way, it just seems that my phone rings like 100 times a day and it's always some bullshit about like my car warranty expiring and there's no way to stop it. I mean, I can't block, I've blocked every number and they still call like six times a day. So um, that is neither here nor there. But anyway, so getting back to this this incentive structure, I think when you when it is a road to power, when you can rise in social status and rise in power uh, by claiming victimhood status or by eliminating people that you don't like by making accusations against them that are very flimsy by just jumping to the least charitable interpretation of what someone else does. People are just, by their nature, are going to do that. And so it just disturbs me that uh, I see this in a lot of um, of the structures that I see on the on the left that are very powerful. And even when when Trump was the president, you still have you know the vast majority of media outlets, the vast majority of academic institutions, the vast majority of I mean even K through twelve all colleges. Um, there's a tremendous amount of sway uh, with the, a very progressive mindset. So there's tons of cultural power here in this perspective. And it seems to be moving in this direction. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't think it's a good thing. And even in my own field, like I said, I was starting off saying that, uh, you know, I'm doing these lessons, trying to trying to help these kids learn something. And there's a trend in my field toward everything's trauma this and trauma that it's you almost want people to take to adopt this trauma identity that just excuses everything and again it's not to say trauma doesn't happen but if you if you make it such that somebody can uh that gains power and status and everything by claiming a trauma identity or a traumatic interpretation of every little thing, they're going to do that. And it can actually create a sense that one is experiencing uh, trauma when it's maybe it's just something quite normal they're experiencing. And what then the, the more, um, the more useful thing to do would be to try to encourage a more resilience mindset or identity. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's very subtle. Whenever you get into the details about these things, it can sound uh, extreme because everything on the spectrum of possibility exists. And as a mental health professional, I mean, what makes you good at your job is that you can attend to the nuances of the situation and figure out if, if this really is a trauma thing or or is it just an attention-seeking thing? Or um, is this really a situation where someone's being bullied? Or is this a situation where they really need to just learn how to handle a normal conflict between peers? I mean, these are the things that you only know when you're in the situation. 
and I think it's the same in the in the political realm. But it's just it's a vibe that I'm catching. And again, I fully admit that um, I could be biased because I find these things really interesting, like culture war stuff. Um, I find the arguments about you know what uh, the excesses of the woke left and all that. I just find it to be really interesting. Um, and so I attend to it a lot and I also do, I know that if my bias lies anywhere, it lies in this, um, this realm of being so fiercely anti-authoritarian, um, anti-identitarian, very, uh, I'm an individualist, but I believe in a, in a positive way. I think individualism has gotten like a, a bad rap because, you know, people can easily point to the excesses of a sort of individualistic mindset. But I think it's also um, a super integral thing to keep in mind that when you're talking about, again, the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty of a specific situation, you're dealing with an individual person. You're not dealing with an abstract category. And that's, you know, that's just how I live. I mean, in my job, I'm working with individual kids. I don't, I don't work with abstract categories. I just deal with individual kids, individual situations on that level. Of course, there's, there's a, there's always a place for jumping out to a, to a different level of analysis. But, um, anyway, so this is just food for thought. It just came to my mind thought I was on a decent roll to that fucking phone call came in, but you know how it is. Um, I need to get back to work, building the resiliency of the young humans in my hometown. And you know what? It's like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna resolve to be open-minded when I'm in discussions with people who have different points of view, but, um, I think I am actually. So this is just a monologue. So when I'm actually talking to people who have different perspectives, uh, obviously it goes quite different. I think I'm getting better at listening to what other people say that don't agree with me, trying to summarize their point of view in such a way that they themselves would agree that my summary is accurate. And, uh, uh, presenting my critiques and my tendency to scrutinize points of view and dig into assumptions and try to uncover principles to present that in a way that's not uh, attacking or threatening or anything like that. So I'm going to continue to try to do that. That's all I got for now. Everybody take care out there. I got to get back to work. Bye.